thanks for tuning in to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Amplitz Flavio. You listen to myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How are, you How are you today, sir? Yeah, good. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I believe it's been a busy week. Very busy week. Far too busy. <laughs> you look mildly broken. Let's see if we can get you less broken by the end of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks to regular listeners for tuning back in. We do appreciate it. And a warm welcome if this is your first time. We hope you enjoy the content. Uh, do subscribe to get new episode alerts. We drop one every week, usually on a Tuesday. And we'd love a like on YouTube, Spotify or Apple if you find this uh, episode interesting. So let's introduce what we're talking about today. And then we'll hand over to our guest. So the topic is multi-storefront management on big commerce, understanding how mature the solution is and where it's going. We'll be covering what big commerce's current MSF setup is, how it handles common business challenges, current limitations, uh, and what that means for e-commerce businesses and the future roadmap. So let's introduce our big commerce guest. So uh, we have Christina, who heads up the product management. Hi, Christina. How are you? Uh, hey, doing good. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Um, Julie, uh, would you like to give people a, a bit of an, int- an introduction to yourself and your role and what you do at B- Big Commerce? Uh, sure. So I'm uh, from Big Commerce product management team based in Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, uh, mostly, I work on multi-storefront project delivery, but at some at some level, I also work with catalog and with some other areas and with multi-language at some point <laughs> soon hopefully soon so <laughs> that's my primary focus area amazing sounds very interesting product role excellent um <laughs> and the one and only uh, jim herbert who's senior vp and gm actually uh, how, how many different words can you get in your job title jim um i'm, I'm i want to make it so long that my job title actually as an acronym forms a brand new word uh <laughs> it'll be appearing on countdown sometime soon so <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, yeah, yeah. Senior Vice President and General Manager. There you go. Oliver Mia. Excellent. So um, I, a lot of people know you. Some won't. Do you want to give people a flavour um, for what your role involves? But also, do you want to give uh, Big Commerce a position to those who haven't worked with the platform before? Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. Thanks for that, James. So, uh, yep, Jim Herbert. I've um, been in and around the e-commerce industry since around about 1999. Um, started out as a developer. So I was a developer on the old ATG platform. Um, I can say old because I was talking to Ian Davis at Oracle the other day and it's finally end of life. There's nothing left of it apparently. So there we go. Um, and um, doing work on, on B2C, B2B uh, and then financial services, oddly, uh, on that. Um, ended up starting my own systems integration firm called uh, Scenaric in 2007. We became big hybrid partners. And I worked on e-commerce implementations for about 100 customers globally uh, and took that business uh, truly global. We had offices in Hong Kong six months after we started um, and we delivered some uh, fantastic sites for <laughs> luxury brands. I still can't say the name of them together, their legal team. But, uh, you know, Samsung Electronics, Rafa, uh, uh, basically all of KPS's back book right now, uh, from what I understand. Um, and uh, joined Big Commerce uh, two years ago next week, actually, uh, next Wednesday. Uh, to run the um, EMEA expansion based on that kind of expansion that I've done with my own work and having that background in eventually sales, but also that tech side. Uh, Brent and the guys thought I'd be the right choice to take over from Mark Adams, who got Big Commerce going in 2018, to carry on that international expansion of, uh, you know, what was an Australian-founded but US business. Um, And so that's, you know, that's kind of what we've been doing. You know, we were 24 people. We're now 117 in the EMEA region. And it's based on the fact that, uh, you know, big commerce as a platform, we like to put it down as the uh, platform for merchants of all sizes of growth. Um, You know, we have a a self-serve component, a bit like uh, Shopify, ultimately, where people can come on, 
staff to trial and, and buy a store at sort of $30, uh, $79 or $299, depending on the different plan types and different features that you want. Um, the big difference, though, uh, is what we talk about is open SaaS. And this is where we are, that kind of platform for merchants of all sizes of growth, right? Um, what that means, open SaaS, is that effectively you get all the benefits of SaaS, so you know, the super um, easy way to implement and, and start a store, ultimately, the scalability being done by us, all the upgrades being done by us, uh, the PCI compliance and security all being looked after by us, effectively all that hosting and software all being in one subscription to our software, ultimately. Um, but with the open APIs that Christina and team are, are creating, the microservices, you know, we're part of the Mac Alliance, I sit on the, on the growth council of the Mac Alliance, um, it allows enterprises to also come in. And, you know, one of Brent, our CEO's big backgrounds is all about disruptive technology. You know, one of his professors at uh, Harvard was Clay Christensen, wrote, literally wrote the book on dis disruptive technology and how, um, you know, you watch things catch up. And I saw it in my own e-commerce background. When Mark started at BigCommerce in 2018, <laughs> bluntly, I emailed him and said, what are you doing at a Shopify competitor, are you crazy? Because we came from that kind of monolithic enterprise background. I said, no, come and see the software, Jim. It's really, really good. And I left the first demo and turned to my old business partner and went, yeah, blimey, we could have done all those big sites that we did on Hybris on this software. Uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, they went at about half the price. So we got out of it at the right time. But actually, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, um, what we're now doing, and particularly in the EMEA region, is focusing on that mid-market enterprise sector and bringing the benefits of the wisdom of the crowds of having 70,000 merchants or 68,000, I think is the official number we're allowed to talk about. Um, all the kind of things and optimizations around one-page checkout, for instance, on that side, we can bring those benefits to big merchants where that's really, really important, right? If you're doing you know, millions online and you can get a small percentage improvement in conversion rate, that's a lot more money for you guys. And that's what people need, certainly in these current times. So it's exciting. You know, we keep winning new business. Uh, you'll see on our results. I can't talk forward-facing, obviously, because the SEC will chop our hands off. Um, but, but fundamentally, it's been a very exciting journey so far. And working with the brilliant product and engineering teams out in Ukraine, Christina running those teams, it's a joy, frankly, guys. Uh, it, it's absolutely fantastic. And I came out of a, a launch celebration for one of our biggest customers in the fashion sector last night. Uh, and all I had, genuinely never had a moan. That barely ever happens with launch celebrations. Always someone says, yeah, that could have been better. Everyone's super excited about the performance and everything that's working on that side. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really good. Right. Um, lovely. Yeah. So I'll start um, with the first question. So, and just going back to multi storefront. So, I guess over the last couple of years, probably as kind of big commerce has moved up market and Shopify is in a similar boat, uh, one of the biggest question marks from some of the real kind of like global brands has been around managing. I guess, particularly the international side, but potentially multi-brand as well. And some other kind of aspects, some other routes that require multiple stores. Um, so historically, you know, brands would have had multiple big commerce instances. And then a few weeks ago, you you fully released the multi-storefront capability. Um, can you, from a high level, just kind of walk us through what that looks like and kind of how it compares to some of the more mature solutions like a Magento or a Salesforce? Christina, do you want me to start? And then oh, I'll of course. The detail. Of course. So, uh, of course I do. <laughs> look, I, I'm, I'm happy for everyone to know listening to the podcast. You know, Christina's here to keep me honest, right? Uh, <laughs> it's That's very, my very job. Important. That's your job. I do run the sales team. That's how this works. No, seriously. It's um it, it's a really interesting one, Paul, bluntly. Uh, in that, you know, uh, ultimately the very first um implementation of multi-storefront, uh, as we were looking at it, was multi-brand. Uh, you know, we used to talk about it internally as cats.com and dogs.com. Um, and, and, you know, being a U.S. headquartered business, that's a really important uh, use case there, ultimately. So 
Um, the way uh, big commerce has has built this technology out is on a kind of channel manager. We released at the, um, I believe, the end of 2020, uh, ultimately, a way of managing multiple channels. And effectively, storefronts can be different channels. Okay, so you can have different stencil storefronts. You can have uh, uh, stencil plus WordPress if you want to uh, storefronts or other headless connectors that we have out there, or you know, a pure headless front end ultimately. Um, what I'll say on top of that as well is that you know, as a uh, as a member of the Mac Alliance and being in that composable architecture uh, club, ultimately, we do everything um, you know headless first or API first. So so when we develop new features. We roll them out as APIs to developers and large enterprises, and then we look to take those features and uh, you know make them more native, give them control panel backend uh, access, so that the, the smaller merchants get the benefits of these things that we're putting out there. So um, the reason I mention that is obviously uh, you know the next use case for multi uh, storefront uh, is obviously going international uh, on that side. So using different storefronts uh, in different languages to be able to go out and, and sell across borders and and, and to uh, other um, areas of the world, which of course for, for medium-sized retailers is probably taking the next step is a brilliant way of growing your business, particularly if you've got product that people really want and you want to get it out there and sell it. Now, there's a lot more complication around there um, and, and not complication around the e-commerce side. You know, you've got to think about taxes, duties, uh, obviously some big event happened in Britain recently. So if you're a British retailer and you're trying to sell into Europe, there's a lot of other bits and pieces you need to think about. And that's where our tech partners like uh, Avalara and Digital River and stuff, people like that can, can get involved. Um, but fundamentally, you know, uh, we, at the minute where we are with multi-storefront compared to um, our competitors, we have a fantastic way, and I'll, I'll talk, I will hand over to you in a minute, Christina, uh, that allows people to, uh, you know, create a number of different storefronts, ultimately. Um, there are some limits around it. It's SaaS software, but obviously every single deal uh, we do uh, pass through the product team to make sure that, you know, you know, we can see how many limits there are. So a great example of that would be, Bullet Group phones, MotorolaRugged.com and Cat phones, they're running on BigCommerce multi-storefront. Um, they're using multi-language. They're using WordPress as a front end. You can see by the number of flags on their website, um, they've got a ton of different storefronts at the front end. You know, they've, they've got well over 20, I think, uh, on, on that side. They've got a very small catalog. So it's kind of like a matrix way of working. Fundamentally, though, that does give them that ability. There's a really nice case study. They up their revenue 200% for your works in sales uh, uh, with a 125% increase in, in AOV and a 35% decrease in the cart, abandoned cart rate by using multi-storefront, by using these different channel front ends in different languages to basically sell that product externally. So if you're going down that route, if you're going down a, a headless route, then I think we're very functionally equivalent to pretty much every competitor out there with all the other benefits of fast time to market, you know, getting, uh, you know, the speed out there uh, and, and the agility that you need um, that you get with BigCommerce as a platform anyway. The next step, of course, is to make all that uh, functionality available, you know, natively in our stencil front end as well for people who want to use kind of our template engine, a bit like the Fantastics of this world, to build, you know, deeply within BigCommerce. And for that, Christina, I'll hand over to you. I knew that. Yeah, I knew that's coming. <laughs> so <clears throat> in general, I wanted to add a little bit on top of like where we started. Uh, it relates to the question uh, that, that you've all asked. So uh, I remember when we were just starting doing interviews to basically better understand what is needed, uh, what should be the initial features to include to multi-storefront. I remember we started interviewing people that have different brands or they sell to different shopper segments like B2C and they are opening a B2B website or vice versa. And the biggest pain that I still remember coming from all those interviews were around 
the need to basically switch between different admin panels. And some people had nine stores across three, four different e-commerce platforms, and it's a nightmare. So basically, all of them were saying that uh, we need to grow our business, but it's basically impossible. We need to keep a whole bunch of people just logging into those stores if I need to change one word in description for a few products. So that was basically uh, the main uh, goal that we kept in mind when we were planning the work, scoping, doing that. We wanted to make sure that in order to manage all different lines of businesses, people won't need to go through this nightmare with clicking through different control panels and uh, different e-commerce platforms. So this is what we did. Of course, uh, being product manager is hard. You need to learn how to say no when you would like to tackle and deliver all of it but uh, you need to deliver at least something and basically move incrementally. So, uh, of course, uh, we didn't uh, manage to deliver all at the same time, but we delivered pretty solid functionality that covers uh, end-to-end the ability to sell uh, different brands within the same region or to different shopper segments also within the same region by using e-commerce native technology powered powered by Stencil and the same capabilities, but also including the ability to localize content and storefront uh, with headless and sell basically in different regions and in different countries. And there is a bunch of new cool stuff that we've already planned to, to work on, as Jim mentioned. So the next big goal that we are aiming to is uh, to enable merchants to sell in different regions and different languages using e-commerce uh, stencil native technology. So uh, basically looking over what is left there, it's not that big. So uh, the features and things that we've included into the initial release actually contrib- contributes already a lot to, 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 to delivering that to merchants. So looking forward to it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let, let's carry on that thing because that's what we wanted to do today is, is be really practical with people about what are the common business challenges people face with international multi-storefront and where what you currently do. So the first bit you said, so it's a single instance, a single login, but you have a multiple. Is there a limit on how many storefronts uh, you can have on one login? I'm assuming there will be. Uh, yes, it is. But mostly like there is a default limit that we set. Basically, we put those limits uh, with performance considerations. So we basically determine the maximum number of storefronts to, and maximum uh, catalog size, for example, orders, number, traffic, to basically ensure that all those storefronts will be performant uh, comparing to if merchant is just managing one storefront within one store. Uh, but there might be exceptions. So as Jim mentioned, basically different combination of parameters will give you a different outcome. So uh, the current limit is five e-commerce storefronts and 15 headless storefronts connected to a single store. But as Tim already mentioned, we have Motorola with 27 storefronts. So basically, uh, this is a flexible number. Yeah, Yeah. and and it's very hard, um, James, in in, in in the podcast, it lives in the ether forever, because obviously we've always got uh, we have a performance optimization team uh, working over all the code all the time, you know, refactoring, making sure that the, the product runs better and better and better. Um, and, and so, you know, if someone listens to us in a year's time, I urge them to talk to one of my reps because there's a very good chance that it's not that that 
live it anymore. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, things things move on fast. Yeah, um, and another thing that'd be interesting for people to understand is because uh, one of the challenges uh, in previous, like you know, multiple instances. Okay, you've got to connect up content management systems. You've got to manage the content separately. Um, are there any limitations in terms of people's ability to use a single um, set of templates, design, and roll that across sites versus having completely distinct um, uh, designs and templates per storefront within the same login? Both is possible. So uh, merchants can either use the same templates, the same same customization across all the storefronts, if that's single brand, but just basically localized for different audiences or for different countries. Uh, or they can complete, create a completely unique uh, shopping experience for different brands. So both are possible. Fantastic. Um, okay, cool. Excellent. Paul, I think you've got some questions around like uh, pricing and currency, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, first question. So in terms of managing currencies, um, so how does that work across the different storefronts? And are you able to tie like a single currency to a store and then allow multiple currencies against a completely different store? So, for example, like a rest of world with multiple currencies versus a UK store with just GBP. Uh, so Technically, yes, uh, this is possible. Uh, the currencies are being set up uh, on a store level uh, where you can enable all the currencies that you need. Then on each storefront level, you can select which one you would like to be a default one for that specific storefront. So that for UK one, you can set GBP and for, I don't know, French one, you can set Euro. Uh, however, there is uh, a limitation there that we are planning to address moving forward. So right now, if you enable three currencies, they all will be visible on all storefronts. Basically, it just, just can control the default one that shoppers see when they land on that storefront. Uh, and moving forward, we are going to add the ability to basically uh, tr uh, select which currencies are visible on each storefront. So this is I something. guess the point there, Christina, is that's the template code, right, for, for Stencil. Yep. yep. So if it's, if it's headless, actually, you can just default yep. and hide them using that. And actually, if you wanted to go into the you know, if you're an enterprise merchant and you want to go into the, the 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 template for a particular storefront and just go to one currency only, that's also another way of doing it. Um, and that's part of that flexibility you get with the platform. That makes sense. And if you do have uh, if you do have multiple currencies enabled, is it um, does the currency change via IP or is it do you do typically would a user just change it manually via a currency selector or country selector? Uh, it's pretty flexible. So you can either set up uh, for which countries you would like this specific currency to be displayed by default, or shoppers can always change the currency if uh, that, that guess wasn't correct and they would like yeah. to, to use another one. We have an example of that. Rivetandhide.com um, uses GOIP using some of the libraries, open source libraries that we make available to, to do exactly that for the default to the currency the country is coming from. What was that site? Hyde.com. Uh, Rivet and Hyde. They're a, a luxury uh, clothing retailer with a shop in the West End. Great. Lovely. They're one nice. of Brent's favourites because they do his uh, they do these Japanese jeans that he loves. So right. okay. I, I remember it well. It's even better than my brain. <laughs> um, great. And then what about price books? So can you manage price books against all of the currencies and set kind of local uh, price books per country? So, say for example, if you had France and Germany, both euros, can you then set different European price books or euro price books? 
Oh yes, you can. <laughs> so with prices, we actually uh, I, we we actually did some really good job to enable all the flexibility that merchants need there. We've spent some time doing interviews, and one of the main issues that merchants in Europe were raising is that uh, they would like to have different prices in Europe for different countries because. As they told me in Germany, they are able to sell uh, stuff uh, much more expensive that, uh, and for, for the higher price than in other European countries. I don't know why, but this is what it is. So uh, with priceless, uh, merchants can set different price for the same product and then basically assign this priceless to a storefront to apply those prices. On top of that, if they need, there is also the ability to add customer group there so that these prices will be only visible on that storefront for some specific customers within that storefront so it's pretty flexible yeah it's interesting because because some some brands have, have limited down their international sites to only deliver to that particular country for those reasons so that you can't then get people cross-border yeah. shopping to get preferential pricing yeah yeah so yeah that's, that's, that's true that's a really good bit of flexibility, actually, because yeah, the, the dangerous assumption that having a euro price book should be the same across every European country. Um, linked to linked to Paul's question on currency is this is this has come up in, in, in other projects um, um, about the inability to connect to different bank accounts for settlement to avoid FX conversion fees. And my understanding with, with the MSF is you can connect into multiple bank accounts, can't you, on a single storefront? So put a US dollar transaction to a US dollar bank for settlement, euro to euro bank, GBP into a UK bank, etc. So um, I'll start this, Christina, and then do keep me honest, because uh, this is getting <laughs> quite technical. Um, you can through the same payment provider, I understand. So um, where we are right now, right now, again, you know, bearing in mind when we're recording this, etc., is that you effectively, we, we drive all traffic to one checkout uh, with, with MSF. Um, so if you look at that big fashion retailer I mentioned earlier, uh, you'll get to uh, their, their checkout page. Um, and then fundamentally, um, they're using Agin uh, as their payment provider, one of our pre-integrated payment providers that are in there. Uh, it captures in the currency that you need and then, you know, effectively goes through to Agin and they they distribute it into the right bank account, if you know, I'm behind the scene. Now, um, the, pretty much the day uh, that one of your other podcasts, uh, TJ Gamble over in the U.S., uh, put a kind of MSF um, um, uh, breakdown on uh, out on, on on LinkedIn. We released the ability to have multiple checkouts per storefront, but still at the minute with the same single credit card set of details. If you know what I mean, or, or, or PSP set of details on that side. Uh, but I know that's on the on the on the roadmap, right, Christina? That we can then effectively have to the point of not just different. Um, uh, capturing different, uh, you know, currencies on each checkout. You could actually use a different payment provider if you wanted to for, for each checkout, but that's not there yet. Again, keeping me honest, um, but, but it's on the it's on the roadmap, right? Uh, yes, it is. Like uh, from what I know, uh, from what we're hearing from merchants, uh, there are three primary needs there. So first, basically, be able to connect only PayPal for. U.S. website and only ADN, for example, for European ones. Uh, the second one would be uh, the ability, what you mentioned, to connect different banking accounts where you are still using ADN, but you would like to have U.S. account to, to put money from U.S. shoppers and U.K. account to, to basically get money from U.K. shoppers. And the third one is within the same payment provider, like ADN, control which payment methods are available on which storefront, for example, to only accept payments through invoices on your B2B website 
and enable only credit cards on your B2C website. So there are basically three parts in that payment story, and we do plan to address all of them. Some of those things are already supported within payment providers themselves because uh, partners, uh, it's a really great joy to work with partners because their solutions are amazing. Like you don't have to do anything on the platform side because you have partners and they are doing all of that. So there is some flexibility there enabled by partners, by specific payment providers. For example, I know that uh, Adian is pretty smart in terms of displaying local uh, payment methods based on from where shopper is coming from. So there are some things like that that merchants can always use. However, on the platform side, as Jim mentioned, we do plan to add this flexibility so that merchants can okay, use so that. So basically now if, um, if I'm a user and I've got a, a site which has got GBP dollars and euros and I'm using AdGen, for example, because they support multiple bank account connections, I can reduce my FX fees because I can just connect the correct yes, transaction yes. currency into that. But in the future, you're looking at you'll be adding to MSF where I'm a I'm a global retailer and I only want my US dollar site to go into PayPal, but I want Agen on my European site or I want this other yeah. gateway on a particular Yeah, okay, understood. Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. What is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule, and manage all your content in one easy place. Find out more at Ampliance.com. Ampliance. Experience freedom. That's really nice clarification. Here's another, this is an edge case, but um, it's an interesting one. It, it's come up in, in only one project I've ever worked on. So typically you have all these sites and customers register on their local site. Like I'm a UK customer. I, I go to Brand X and I shop on the UK site. I'm registered, but I'm not registered on their French site, for example, or their US site. I found one customer who wanted, wants a global account, single sign-on. So if I register, no matter which site version I register on, I'm globally signed in and can sign in on any of their sites. Is that supported at all? I know it's a real edge case, but intrigued to know whether you can have a global sign-on so a customer can be uh, can be visible across all of those sites. There is actually a funny story about that. When we were scoping the work around how customer accounts should work, we were doing a lot of interviews as well. So we were asking merchants like, do you want this global customer logging access or you would like to keep it separate, basically separate customer account, separate store credits and all of that. And all the merchants, like 99% were saying, we would like to have separate customer accounts because we don't want French shoppers to go to Germany because uh, the prices are different. We don't yeah. want uh, dogs.com customers go to cats.com customers with the same account. So they were all saying that we want those accounts to be separate. We scoped this work. We plan to keep those separate. But then at some point, our developers came in saying like, we can pretty easily allow uh, making those customer logins being global as well. So do you want us to add this flexibility? It will cost us like really small effort in terms of development, but we'll give an option to merchants. And we were like, okay, but people mentioned that they don't actually need that yet, but okay, let's skip it. So we've added this. Currently, it's available only through the API because we even didn't consider that this would be so popular. But once we release multi-surfing, every maybe... Uh, Second merchant comes in asking, oh, can I switch to use global uh, customer logins? So basically, it is possible. Uh, there is 
no control panel UI for that yet, but this can already be controlled through the API and we will be addressing uh, this in control panel as well because it appeared to be a popular one. <laughs> it's, um, it's an interesting one. It comes up on every project I work on. <laughs> every merchant starts <laughs> off saying it's an absolute must-have. And then when you talk about it and all the kind of like little knock-on effects and other things that they need to think about, they end up staying with... Um, uh, independent accounts, uh, or at least the majority do, which is interesting. There's um, interesting GDPR issues with that, isn't there? To be honest, if you're, again, not a technical problem, but it's uh, if you're treating yourself as separate businesses. Yes, you're all one business, but you need to make sure your T's and C's cover that off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a really big business. Um, next question around stock. So this was something that I thought wasn't available yet, but James corrected me. So uh, managing multiple stock files. So can I essentially have three storefronts within a single instance and then have three independent warehouses connected um so one per store front storefront sorry uh it really depends on how to implement the solution so as you know yet e-commerce natively don't have multi-location inventory management basically uh out of the box what you get is a single source of uh, inventory in single location, single shipping origin. However, you can always use a third-party provider to manage <coughs> warehouses, to manage inventory within those warehouses. Uh, in terms of the inventory management inside e-commerce, so uh, currently product shares the same stock across all the storefronts. So if you have 10 items of sneakers and those sneakers are sold on three storefronts, uh, those 10 items will be shared across all this, all three storefronts. However, I know that merchants are using product metafields uh, and third-party uh, inventory management and warehouse management solutions to, to solve that. And basically, in that way, they are getting separate stock on separate warehouses uh, for, for each storefront. And, and yeah, I think I'm sure actually, you know more. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I, I will um, build on that slightly. So, so our multi-location inventory um, functionality that we're building right now is in closed beta. Um, and uh, so, what that means is for for an enterprise merchant, if they want to use that, so a great example of an enterprise merchant that's uh, thankfully restarted their projects after the, the 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 joys of COVID for a large department store that sells mainly luxury, Harvey Nichols. They're in the closed uh, beta of multi-location inventory for exactly that reason, uh, Paul. So, um, and, and of course, the nice thing about software as a service, and it's interesting because I have to keep on um, uh, explaining this to people, especially people in enterprises who come from that monolithic background, is the fact that, you know, as we build MLI, we're building it at the same time that Christina's team are building multi-storefront. So it all works together. Um, you know, that's the kind of SaaS snowball, isn't it? You keep sticking functionality to it and it gets better and better. So, um, so you know, that, that, that kind of level of requirement is definitely in there to make sure that that, that happens. On that note as well, we do have, as, as Christina said, you know, we have uh, various sort of shipping uh, providers that can help us with this uh, that are already pre-integrated. So you know, never forget we have the, the one-click install app store within BigCommerce, which means it's super easy to add those in. Um, and actually, uh, one of our agency partners out of uh, Sydney, Random. Uh, they have what they call their Random Bopus app, uh, which we, we're also using on, on projects right now, uh, that then give you that level of aggregated stock position or the ability to say on this channel, we've got this stock and on this channel, we've got that stock. Because again, if you talk about a, a Harvey Nichols type retailer, um, that gets quite complicated. If you've got an Alexander McQueen dress and it's a load of money and it happens to be in the Hong Kong store, but someone orders it in London, 
you probably still want to ship it and sell that dress, right? <laughs> so there's, a, there's a really nice big AOV on your on the horizon if you, if you can do that. And and we can give retailers like HN that flexibility with the, with the software and the partners we have in the ecosystem. Just, just one clarification to make sure I answer then. So, because um, I was looking at a use case the other day, so I've got a client who's got um, like three showrooms, and each showroom has um, uh, um, ready and made products in stock, and they're in the ERP as separate um, stock locations on top of the web stock. Um, so, at the moment, then on on a single storefront, is it it's not able to 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 see that, or it is? To be able to connect and say, because ERP is saying, okay, there's four different stock holdings, basically, and you've got a total of 12. So at the moment, if you're in a closed beta I believe of, of multi-location inventory, I believe we could do that. I believe. I'm not entirely certain. Sorry, James. It's, uh, it's, it's one we need to actually sit in with the, um, the, yeah, no the guys <laughs> on that one. Um, no I know that with random... And focus, yes, definitely is the answer yeah. to that. We can we can do it. So um and, and of course they are re-engineering their app to work on our uh closed beta MLI APIs as well, right? So yeah. so um hence that we're 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 making sure that we are taking real world um use cases and, and putting them into the platform because that's the only way it's gonna get better. Right. Um and then I'll I'll ask the next one. So the next one's focused on catalog. So how does it work around managing different catalogs per storefront? Like what can what can and can't you do around kind of product data um, in particular? Um so with managing product catalog, uh it's actually pretty flexible in terms of creating separate catalogs for separate storefronts. So there is a single how we call it product library where you uh just create all your products and from there uh, you can make single product available uh, at the same time on one or multiple storefronts uh, in one or multiple categories. So basically uh, the same product at the same time can be available on multiple storefronts in different categories within those storefronts. Uh, on top of that, uh, what we are going to work on in 2022 is the ability, for example, to set different product names for different storefronts or SEO description or uh, different images, basically to give merchants flexibility to merchandise products differently for different brands, for different audiences, for different countries, including basically localizing product data into different languages. So that's what's coming. Which team is very excited of. <laughs> very excited. Sorry, I'm actually in my uh, big commerce employee pool. <laughs> Trying to go through some of the use cases you've been throwing at us. So, um, yeah, I can't help it. I've always been a techie. <laughs> uh, but this is, I'm really enjoying this episode because it, it's good. I think it really helps people practically because these use cases don't apply to every project, but there will be some relevance to every person who goes, oh, yeah, actually, we'd quite like to do this. So, uh, one other one that, that, that comes up quite a lot is, Someone's adding a new collection in, um, and actually, it's it's a bulk import, and it's going across. They've got three storefronts, and the collection goes across all the storefronts. They might do some localization, or you know, they might have different price books. Fine, whatever. Um, the ability to to create products once and then import in bulk and apply across all the storefronts instead of having to duplicate, triplicate work. Um, how is that handled um, uh, in MSF? So, like, as I mentioned, it's a single SKU. You just create product or create collection of products. And from there, you basically, in a few clicks, just 
put those products to the storefronts and categories within those storefronts. Uh, and then if you go to, I don't know, if you need to change product description or you need to change image or something, you change it in one place and it basically gets automatically applied to all the storefronts where you sell this product at. So that's the default behavior. However, what we are working on is that uh, if you need for some specific storefront to change the name or change images, basically uh, you can uh, customize that, set alternative product name for the same product with the same SKU just to be displayed on some specific storefront. Yeah, we have the overrides in there to do that, don't we? And, yep. and, and when Christina says we're a few clicks, obviously you can do it in the control panel, but if you've got a very large catalog, we're probably going to do that in a PIM, so in a Kino or Pimbly or yep. something that's also MSF compatible uh, and to get that data in. Or it could be just via the, you know, whatever other back offices are already there in an enterprise retailer via our APIs. You know, again, just to, to, to stress the point, all these changes that we make, they come through API changes first. Uh, because again, in the kind of composable world of large retailers, um, you know, we get it out there quicker because you don't have to build the control panel, but also then they've got that functionality that they need uh, to make us, you know, keep us competitive with our competitors in that composable space. But interesting, there's still some businesses, no matter how sophisticated the platforms they invest in are, use CSVs for their bulk uploads. Yeah, 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 very true, very true. Well, we've got that as well, of course. A very nice CSV importer, actually. I was uh, very proud of that when I, when I first joined BC. So, oh, blimey, I remember building one of these years ago, it's changes. <laughs> right, and then um, I guess from an execution perspective, so if I've got a single storefront and I want to add a new storefront, um, how does that look like? How much time does it take? Do you need developers? Um, yeah, can you talk us through uh, kind of actually adding an additional storefront? I actually have a funny story about that as well. So uh, the way how it works and how it, it's designed, uh, you just go to your admin panel and channel manager where you have all the different sales channels connected, like Facebook, like Amazon, and there is a button like create new channel. When you click it, you see BigCommerce uh, storefront. You just hit create, set the internal name, and the storefront is created. So it takes like five seconds. And uh, when we were going with users, uh, user testing, and going through this flow with users, some of the designers asked a really good question. He was like, you know, people are basically spinning up new line of business. It shouldn't look that easy. Like it looks as you're doing something really small. But uh, if you think through that, you are basically expanding your brand. You are creating, you are opening up a new region. It shouldn't take five seconds. Like it shouldn't look like that. But uh, in reality, uh, we have... Uh, a pattern that allows to spin up additional websites really in few clicks. Uh, by default, how it works, there is a, a default settings level where you can control all the basics of your store, like payment methods, currencies, SEO settings, all of that. And when you spin up a new store, those settings are applied by default to every new store. So if you don't need to change anything, your old setup. If you would like to tweak something, you can easily do that with it and keep the rest. So this gives flexibility on one hand. On the other hand, this reduces the time to, to open up a new business line. So it's pretty easy. I love that. Let, let's make this more complicated and slower. 
Yes, yes. So because like we were <laughs> we were shocked. Like it shouldn't look that simple. <laughs> People are opening up new businesses. Like it shouldn't take two clicks. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I have a few clients who, who where that versus the current process would be would be uh, manner from heaven. Um, so I guess one clar- one clarification that uh, the point you said about you can then create local configurations. I think that's a really important one to drill into because um, for some people that that that's a challenge is well actually we we maybe eighty percent is the same but twenty percent is different. But currently they're on a on a uh, a technology that means they have to literally create the storefront from scratch and set all those settings. Um, again, in the new one. So shipping is a good example. So what you're saying then basically is you've got a UK store, you want you want to clone it for, for US, but then you need to localise shipping. You, you clone it, it does it all and it ports it across, but then you'll have to go in and, and manually edit the shipping to get it to, to, to the local shipping methods that you need, right? Yeah, so by default, everything is cloned. But then yeah. if you need to tweak something, uh, some specific area, you can just easily go and do that. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Um, and the next next bit we want to we talked about use cases, what it does, how it does it, some of the the, the benefits and the key features. Uh, it'd be useful to talk about some of the the current limitations that people need to understand. Um, uh, and I believe there's uh, um, some limitations around. I think Jim, you touched upon it earlier around um, number of products per storefront and number of variants per product. And from what I read, it was I mean it's quite it's quite large um, and it won't affect many businesses. But product limit of ten thousand products per storefront. And then seventy variants per product. Is that correct? Is that still a current limitation, or is there flexibility, like you said, where if somebody has an, a use case where it, actually we need more, that there's extensibility to that? It's twenty five k products already, but uh, okay. and we we keep yeah we keep growing those numbers. But yeah, as Jim mentioned, uh, there is always a flexibility. Like uh, we cannot say no to sales team never. <laughs> so. When they come with a deal, <laughs> yeah, we, we have to find a way how to support that. So, when nice, <laughs> what happens, James, is they come to us, uh, our merchant comes to us, say, yeah, we're just a bit over that limit. Can we try it? I ask Christina and Anthony and team, uh, and then we have a bit of an argument, and then we test it. I go, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always happen, but you know, that, that's, not, that's the, you know, it's more about limits of testing, even that I mean, from our side. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's already gone up to 25,000 because you know, we, we're, we're pushing it, we're yeah. testing it. And making sure that you know, ultimately, it's a SaaS platform, right? We're all running, all merchants yeah. are running on big commerce, so we don't want to break it for everybody. That would be an absolute disaster. So, um, yeah. there's that circumspect professionalism about the way we deploy, um, and we deploy automatically a number of times a week, right? Uh, new software all the time. I keep going about this, but um, with Scenario Card, we used to make quite a lot of money doing upgrades, uh, and um, a lot of that money, doesn't, you know, SIs can't do that because we're always upgrading the software. Uh, ourselves, if you know what I mean, which which is brilliant for merchants because they get that all those new features, if you know what I mean, and and, and it's, so it's important to point out that also applies to those limits that we talked about as well. So um, the the category limit was a hundred. Is that increasing as well? Uh, all those limits will be increasing. Yeah. Basically, yeah. we started from the most important ones like uh, orders, like catalog. So with orders previously. In beta, we set this limit to 1,000 per day. Uh, of course, it's not very flexible. We just basically started this uh, go, to go through closed beta to make sure everything performs as we expect. So now we're shifting to uh, the amount, maximum amount of orders per minute, which is going to be pretty high. So this should fit like 99% of all the use cases. Probably, except only some crazy flash sales that our engineering team is having 
uh, having heart, heart attacks when they see that. So, <laughs> so subfolder isn't native to multi-storefront yet without a headless setup. Um, is this planned? Uh, is this something you're planning on changing? Yes, we do. Uh, like uh, we uh, we're trying to figure out like what what are the domain strategies that merchants are choosing. So top holder is a really popular use case. However, uh, it, it required some much more work to get delivered. So we started with unique domains and subdomains, and uh, we'll move forward with supporting subfolders as well. So yes, this is this is planned. And it's an interesting because obviously, you know, in the sales team, we go for it, so we badger engineering for it. Um, and, and fair point, you know, a couple of the guys in the engineering team came back and said, yeah, but that's not Google's recommendation for best SEO. Um, you know, they, they, they prioritize based on, you know, uh, uh, what well, I understand. And I was looking at Google documentation again last week, trying to explain this back to a merchant or a prospect. Uh, you know, on, on independent domains, then subdomains, then subfolders. Yeah. I get why people want to do it because it's actually a lot easier to maintain and manage. Yeah. Um, but if you want to maximize SEO and big commerce prides itself on the strength of its SEO capabilities, then, you know, you probably want to think about the way that you do it from, from, from the, you know, the way we do it. You know what I mean? But again, subfolders are available if you do it headless uh, or, or composable because, of course, it is, right? You know, that's being handled by a different part of the uh, uh, stack at that point. Um, so, so there are always ways of doing it from, from that perspective. Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, the, I think the challenge... Sorry. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> so I think the challenge is for some people, you can't have a local country domain in some countries unless you've got registered business presence, and that creates yes. taxation implications. Therefore, people can't... Like Australia, for example, and for some yeah. people, they've got historical, a large, complex site with, with um, subfolders. And actually, the, the SEO impact of remapping and, and redirecting and managing that... The risk there is a, and they've got all their like href and, and canonicalization linked into that. And you suddenly realise that you can do it, but it's a much more complex migration piece. So I think that's where the, where there are in some use cases subfolders is is definitely the path of least resistance to good SEO. No, I agree, James. You're right, and that's why it's on the roadmap as well, right? Yeah, as Christina said, it's a, it's a harder problem. When? 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 <laughs> <laughs> I refer you to think. Since this is recorded, like I don't have a date yet. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> right. No, what, well, I wouldn't be doing my wouldn't be doing my podcast job if I wasn't asking if there is a committed date yet. <laughs> this is like when I went on Sportbox, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess uh, sticking on the same or along the same lines, uh, to URL structure. So not the this is necessarily good practice or people might not necessarily want this, but um, you, can you assign uh, a different URL structure per storefront? Uh, so at this point, this can only be managed with headless uh, where you build URL structure in the way that you need uh, on a big commerce native and uh, you can basically create the URL structure that you need, but it's going to be shared across all the storefronts. So if for the product, you selected display category first and then product name, and then maybe something uh, custom, uh, it's going to basically be applied to all the storefronts, this URL structure, same for categories and for uh, pages. But from what I've seen, we didn't include that into, into the scope just because based on what merchants are saying, most of them are using just recommended approach that e-commerce has set by default, which is optimized for SEO. So 
we haven't seen much that people go and change this uh, setting a lot. So um, we didn't hear any feedback either during closed beta or right now when people are already using that on live stores that they, they, they actually need that. So they're pretty quiet about this capability. Can you give us two examples of brands that are using multi-storefront effectively and maybe just talk a bit about kind of how they're using it, how they're managing kind of different aspects of the store, et cetera? Jim, I thought this this is going to be yours. (laughs) Yeah, it is going to be mine, without a doubt. So uh, (laughs) I'll um, I'll, I'll talk to Bullet Group already. So Bullet Group do rugged mobile phones. Um, so they've actually got two different big commerce stores now, and that's a deliberate decision because they've got two different uh, sites. So capphones.com, which is Caterpillar rugged phones, ultimately for builders. Uh, my half brother's a builder. Uh, my half, my entire family are in the building trade. To be fair, so it was interesting to me when they when when um, smartphones started coming out. These ruggedized phones with dual SIMs in it, it was all the whole almost subculture that I had no idea about until they came around to do my house, you know what I mean? So, um, so Motorola Rugged.com was the first one that went live. Cat Phones is the second one uh, from Caterpillar. So uh, effectively, they're originally on Magento um, and then they moved to uh, Shopify and they were struggling with this need that they had to, to um, sell across all of Europe, ultimately, uh, from, from that side of it. Um, with Shopify, I believe they're already starting to use WordPress. They like the WordPress features, um, which again is interesting for me. Enterprises um, uh, are <laughs> back in the day when I was selling some of the, the the older monolithic software. Who could it be? I never mentioned them before. People say, "Oh, this isn't WordPress, is it?" When I showed them the different kind of cockpits that you needed to use to, to edit the front end, because people were using them on their own personal blogs, or they were helping their kids out with it, or, or their mates, or whatever. Um, so they'd already gone down that route. And so they're using, um, uh, I think it is 27 headless storefronts on both stores for Motorola Rugged and for Cat Phones to, uh, to, to sell across Europe ultimately. So, you know, there's a case study on the bigcommerce.com website. Um, so it's a uh, bullet group, what you need to search for. But, you know, just reading it as I, as I look at in, in front of me, 125% increase in AOV uh, from, from the features that we had in there and, and, and in terms of making it a, uh, easier uh, ultimately to, to choose upgrades and, and see the different kind of colors and other bits and pieces and, 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 and sides you got on it, on that uh 200% increase in revenue since launch and a 35% uh, decrease in abandoned cart rate using our optimized one-page checkout um fundamentally uh ryan you know some nice quotes in there uh he was saying you know ultimately um they needed a system where they didn't have to flip back and forth between different admin control panels for different orders you know, they're, they're getting all their orders from those different storefronts into one spot, uh, ultimately, and therefore they can know what to ship and, and then they can do that integration from one big commerce backend very easily. So Motorola Rugged actually went live first. Um, it was a really quick build. I think it was three months. Um, we had some teething troubles because we were working on the early uh, closed beta, but still three-month build is not bad, if you know what I mean. And then Cat Phones went live uh, very quickly soon afterwards. Um, and, it, and it came back to that ability of you know reusing what they'd already built from that side, if you know what I mean. And look, it goes from it goes from strength to strength. Um, the other one I'll talk about, you know, from my side is a, a large fashion retailer. I won't talk to their performance because that would be material non-public information for them. <laughs> but uh, fundamentally, um, uh, TedBaker.com. I can talk about it. It's in the in the public domain, so I will use their name. Uh, everyone knows that we, it's launched on a combination of us, uh, a React front end built by Wonderman Thompson Commerce. And then Bloomreach, um, uh, powering the search and merch and, uh, and and the experience management of it. Um, again, uh, I think there's a multiple headless storefronts there. Again, uh, on that on that side, um, it's 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 
been a fantastically successful project actually uh in in terms of i think i know in the, in the marketplace people were thinking it wasn't um but it kind of started in anger in april last year launched in march uh this year um and uh you know if you go and have a look at the website you can see there's multiple different languages um it's optimized for mobile there's some really nice ux features on there uh, that are helping with uh you know the, the performance of the site odd thing really like the size guide the size guide is beautiful <laughs> and it just works really well um and, and it's interesting isn't it because that's not really anything to do with a particular tech platform that's just the way that they've got the front end but it just works and it looks lovely and it's obviously all cms controlled again it takes us to that optimized one page checkout and that's what I love about um, the kind of disruptive nature of BC for enterprise merchants. I, I keep coming back to it, but you know, if you think about the the levers of e-commerce, James, you heard me pitch this at you years ago when you were doing selection um, when we first met. Uh, you know, you kind of got three: how many visitors you've got on the site, what the AOV is, uh, and then the conversion rate. Okay, and then obviously the returns rate the other side. You've got to take that off, sadly, for fashion particularly. But um, you know, that that that's wisdom of the crowds of um, it, it makes sense for big commerce. To get the conversion rate as high as possible, right? You know, the, the, the more GMB we get going through the platform, it's better for us, better for our merchants. It's a true win-win scenario for us. So we have a, a team of UX engineers. We, we are always trying to optimize that one-page checkout. If you look at that brand, what they've done is they've downloaded uh, Checkout JS. It's available in GitHub. Effectively, it's, our, it's the code that we use, but it allows enterprises to extend it. So it's been extended for uh, you know ship from store and ship to store and and and, and that kind of functionality. But ultimately, it's using the same UX design that we have in there already. They've added in postcode lookup again to make it as easy as possible. The idea being to get to the point where effectively it's almost like a one-click checkout. That's brilliant, right? That that really works. Uh, we, we take that kind of all those learnings and provide them to uh, our merchants via uh, the, the tools that they want to use, and they see better results out of it. So, um, you know, again, I can't talk to results yet, uh, but I'm sure there'll be a case study coming out very soon. I can't wait. Well, you'll certainly hear about it because... I won't stop shouting across LinkedIn for ages, just like people said that it would happen. <laughs> not like you to be shy about sharing case studies. Not at all. Not at all. People need to hear about success. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that we've covered off all the questions. I'm hoping for people listen. It's been an interesting episode. We've had lots of practical information about where MSF is and the roadmap and what what you can't do, but what's in beta. Um, some of the limitations, but how those are, are being expanded. So that's been really interesting. Thanks, Jim and Christina, for taking the time to, to come on today. Thanks, guys. <laughs> that was cool. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And, and again, Christina, thank you from me and your team in, 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 in difficult circumstances. But yes. just keep smashing it out there. You're doing a fantastic job. It's it's it's, it's great to work with you. Thanks, yeah. Tim. <laughs> and thanks to everyone, as always, for listening. We do appreciate it. Keeping it open for our next episode, as we say, we drop them every week. Uh, do subscribe, and we'd love a rating on Apple or Spotify or YouTube. Uh, take care. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.